one and all to Punch Up Your Life. I'm Andrew Lazat, and today, like every other day, I'm going to interview someone as if they're pitching me their life as a big budget blockbuster film. And uh, this week's guest is comedian Chris Sandiford. Uh, Chris is actually a, a, a stand up improviser, actor, uh, television writer. Uh, he's, he's great. And I take his uh, quote-unquote script, and I give him some notes. And like anything else, he either vehemently uh, disagrees with me, or he bows to my intellectual insight and emotional uh, honesty. And stay tuned to find out which that is. Uh, No, Chris is great. Uh, You might already know him from... The TV show Cavendish, which is fantastic, and uh, what we do in the shadows. He's a reoccurring character on that, and he's back for the third season. Um, and here's the thing: if you don't already know who Chris is, you will in about a year, because usually at the end of the episodes, I have to like really pump the tires of the uh, the guest to get them to promote themselves and convince them how likable they are and how much they've got going on. But Chris, uh, I had the opposite problem with, not because he's an egomaniac, but because he has signed some NDAs. So he could not talk about the great things that are coming down the pike. So either wait a year or just look him up on Google. Because, uh, you know, because of our phones, we have the entire human collective consciousness in our pockets at all times. should be treating that like the uh, Library of Alexandria. Um, do it. Uh, and, and you know what else I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start talking more to our producer, Matt, and just treating him like he were Siri on an iPhone, because anytime a guest calls me on something or I, I have an outlandish fact, because th- that's just how my brain works, uh, I'm going to get Matt to fact check me. And I have no problem with him telling me exactly why I am full of crap. So... Right now, I'm going to say that in the episode, I mentioned a streetcar bell ringing competition that takes place in San Francisco every year um, at the, the, the Giants Stadium before, before a game. And uh, Matt, I'm looking up to the sky like you're God right now, and this is a Judy Bloom novel. So Matt, if you're there, please tell me whether that thing is real and exists and this isn't codependent or an abuse of power, I swear. But much like an iPhone, I keep <laughs> Matt in my pocket whenever I need him. Um, that's either adorable or creepy. You be the judge. Um, this is another fun episode because I think it plays with the format a little bit. Because, again, uh, we have some staples of the episodes, but it really depends what type of artist is in, and uh, what they're pitching. And so Chris and I start off on a very real base, but uh, I love how much improvisation there is in this, which is not saying it's all bits, but I feel like I am the Carl Reiner to his Mel Brooks in this episode. Uh, His answers make me ask very inquisitive and fun questions, which then cyclically set him up to just knock those questions out of the park. Uh, 
you know, and I was more than happy to do so. I like just walking around in someone else's brain. That's why I do this. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you like and subscribe. I hope that you find the various pages for this podcast. And if you have a, a, a script idea for a very good episode, I'd love to hear it. And maybe I'd interview you. Let me know a little bit about you. Um, if you're into it, I don't know. I don't want to push the relationship. I appreciate where we're at. I appreciate that you're listening to me. But at the same time, I want you to know that your thoughts and feelings are valid and appreciated. Uh, because that's what I learned in therapy. You're welcome. Enjoy. you'll ever see mm. so on that note mm. let's talk about something completely devoid of reality okay very good yeah chris do you do you want to do you want to explain uh your pitch to us also okay. matt my producer who's listening right now do whatever you want with that first 15 minutes i trust you is Go matt ahead. on the line right now <laughs> no he's not he's going to be listening to this retroactively okay very good um, so I just talk to him occasionally, like he's God. I always have to look up at the sky when I refer to Matt. Okay, well, hang on. I'm going to let my feed kind of clean up here. You're, um, it might just be me, but uh, you've gone very, like, standard definition. Oh, okay. And maybe, I don't know, am well, I coming I mean, in? Oh, yeah, no, you're fine. Okay, okay. So thanks for having me. I would love to pitch you um, the true story of my life. Um, as you know, my name is Chris Sandiford. Um, you know, m present day, I'm an actor and comedian living in uh, Toronto, Ontario. That's where I currently make my home. Um, and but before you knew me, I won. I had uh, different aspirations. You know, I'm a child that grew up with television, and not just any old television station. I was a big Food Network guy. We're talking Emeril Lagasse. We're talking uh, Bobby Flay. We're talking Chef Morimoto. We're talking, hell, even Rachel Ray. You know, she was very fun with her EVOO. She made a lot of these kind of high-class ingredients accessible. We're talking uh, Ina Garten and her husband, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. We're talking Giada De Laurentiis. The list goes friggin' on and on and on and on. Um, no uh, Guy Fieri? Guy Fieri. Now, I, as much as people like to, you know, come against that guy, he's also democratized, you know, fun, fast food uh, in a way that celebrates, you know, I heard. I love diners. I, I, I love yeah. a diner, love a drive in and love a dive. People that know me, they know I love a dive. And I heard Niles Crane say it best. Frazier, we celebrate the peasant food of France and Italy. Why not now celebrate the peasants in our own backyard? And so Guy Fieri to me is that is the answer to that. Um, and and in the episode, you know, Niles is eating at like this fast food place that has really turned him in, you know, put him in the good graces or put those fast food places in his good graces. Because, um, of course, you know, they're famous snobs. Oh, I, I know. So I mean, 
I, I don't know if us constantly talking about Frasier is an us relationship thing or it's a greater extension of you. It's a greater extension of me. Yeah. It's not, it's oh, not okay. about, yeah, All no, right. no. I just love Frasier now. I've been rewatching it and I just finished it actually. It was crazy. I started it in Australia and I'd seen episodes here and there growing up. And I remember thinking they were funny just because he, I just loved this blustery man that was in all of them. He's just so <clears> blustery. <throat> And he had a crazy apartment that even then I remember thinking, this guy's like loaded for some reason. And thinking that a job in broadcasting would give me that. <clears throat> so all that to say, I'm listening. But before <laughs> I listen, I have to say this to hear your yeah. response to this. Um, so all that said, um, I set off years ago to begin a career in um, – and food. I wanted. To, I became sort of a mini home cook. I was a child. This is true. My mother would, you know, see me watching something, you know, Iron Chef back when it was all in Japanese or Cantonese. I don't even remember now. Um, Iron Chef mm. was a great program where, yeah, Iron Chef Japan, Iron Chef China, Iron Chef Italy. There were all these kind of Iron Chefs uh, that would come to the studio, and some challenger would choose one, and. They would do battle with a single ingredient and I would learn things and be like, oh, I didn't know you could put, you know, an egg, crack an egg into something like that and it would come out and you could make a dessert like that or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So years later, I ended up on a sort of a competition cooking program. I won't tell you the name of it, but um, it rhymes with crafter bluff and um, – <laughs> I came this close to winning and I, you know, social media blew up with that. And, you know, I, I just wanted to be like a bit of a celebrity chef. So for a while I worked in restaurants in Montreal, whatever, just, you know, little things in the, you know, nice places in the old port, fine dining, that sort of thing. You know, you do a lot of prep, you peel potatoes, you chop, you know, you became a, you could become an entremetier. You're working with fish, you're working mm -hmm. with other sous chefs and big personalities. It's quite wild. I never really oh, want. Yeah. I never when really people look at like um, uh, uh, Hell's Kitchen. Got Gordon Ramsay uh -huh. and like Anthony Bourdain, and just like is kitchen life really like that? Like, oh man, it is that's, for the most that's part. That's the most accurate thing. Yeah. Every other show is a lie, right? Because it is like pressure that fine dining experience for some reason. Because there's a chef, chef de cuisine, we call it the main guy. I never really wanted to be a chef de cuisine as such, but I did. I think what I wanted was worse, actually. I wanted to become a mini celebrity chef. Um, there's a guy here in Ontario. I forget his name, but he was licensed to grill guy. I believe is Rob Rainford. Rob Rainford. And um, I kind of wanted to be this guy. I wanted my own show. I wanted to have my own version of BAM! Like Emerald Head. And basically, I was chasing that ever since I lost on that competition cooking show. And I thought, you know what? Social media is blowing up here. I'm going to leverage that into something. Um, I ended up, and so this is what I'm pitching. I'm pitching the story of me, you know, fighting my way through that. You kind of do a first act of this starry-eyed kid who comes into the scene and, and, like, wants to shake it up and be a disruptor. But then in the second act, he gets to this show and, you know, maybe you hit, like, a early low point where it looks like he's going to win, but he doesn't. But then he shakes off the dust and he publishes – a cookbook and here's the here's the hook they've all got to have a hook, a hook because there's a cookbooks are a dime a dozen you know everyone and their mom's mm -hmm. got one mm -hmm. so i thought you know what why don't i make a cookbook for you and your best friend aka 
your dog. So literally, that was, that's what it was called. It was called, um, I believe the book, I believe the book, it was my book, and it was called Lady and the Tramp Cooking for You and Your Best Friend. You know, so literally it's just you and let's say you have a dog or your friend has a dog. Why am I talking like a guy from New York all of a sudden? Um, because you have to, bam, hit it up a little bam, bit. Thank you. Exactly. Um, who knows where Emerald's from? I actually think he's from Massachusetts somewhere, but then he's got like Louisiana roots and uh, who knows? I love yeah, that guy. Boston's in there for yeah. some reason. He, um, so I published a, a cookbook where literally if you're making dinner for yourself, there would be a companion dinner that you could cook for your dog and you could both eat kind of this oat, oat cuisine that you've cooked uh, for you and your dog. And it was just kind of a gimmick and kind of fun. I suppose I should not have, here's where I messed up. And this is what I'd like to think that, you know, in the at the end of the second act, you have a nice low point here. Essentially, there's a recipe in there where I, as for dessert, for the human, there's a chocolate souffle. I guess a number of people just cooked that dessert as well for their dog. And of course, you know, chocolate can be poisonous to poisonous. dogs. And well, the uh, souffle is on fire. So, and the, yeah. well, that's the thing. Like, I'm thinking, oh, people's souffles aren't rising and this is why they're coming after me. No, they took legal action. There was a class action. Um, so this is, so this is, so this is what happened. There was a class action against me. Put that aside in the picture. What we do is this starry eyed kid who comes up, he publishes his book, second act, low point. All these dogs are dying. Cause you know, everyone's reading the recipe wrong and you think he's not going to be able to come back from that. So he's at this low point, but then his old mentor from a restaurant in whatever city he lived in says, you know what? I think that I see more potential in you than just this thing. What you wanted was wrong. You want celebrity. You want fame. But what you really need is a job where you can just become this quiet artist, you know? And the movie, the picture becomes then what's more important, notoriety or quality work. And, you know, does one come of the other or does, you know, one feed into the other kind of okay. in, a, in a feedback loop? Or is it kind of an Ouroboros? So there you go. So there's my pitch. Sort of uh, rags to riches to rags again. You know, story of an ambitious young guy who wants to cook for people. All right. I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm bursting with questions. Yes. Uh, first of all, what, what, do you, what do you see? First of all, wow. Mm-hmm. First of all, wow. Second of all, what do you see as the tone for this? As far as a like, uh, you know, sort of the rise to fame and the descent. Is it a? Yeah. Um, is it a, 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 a singing in the rain? Is it a Star Is Born? Or is it sort of like a more of a Martin Scorsese, Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas Ooh, thing? This is definitely. Or a, is it Ratatouille? Is it animated? This is, is definitely. Oh, as much as I love animated there pictures, is there yeah, is a dog. There are animals. No, I don't there see could this be as being. Plushies. An animal thing, uh, an animated thing. Look, you, you said it earlier. Kitchens are very raw, like especially in the fine dining world where you're chasing that Michelin star. This is not for Comedy. kids. This is not for kids. Comedy. So often people are just like, oh, it's a it's a bad atmosphere. And like people associate it with depression now because it, it media it's so much more in your face. But I'm just like, you've never been in a kitchen. <laughs> I have exactly. done both. A kitchen scares me. <laughs> yeah, man. I've worked as a. I worked my way all the way up. Uh, I was a dishwasher at a place for a while, just looking at the two guys that were the chefs. Work. 
at this like supper club in Montreal. And I remember thinking, boy, wouldn't it be good to just, and there was another, there was a couple other guys that came in and came through and, you know, they'd cook for us before a service. And I remember thinking, wow, the food that you're just making for us is so good. And it's not even on the menu thinking how effortless mm-hmm. they made it, but these guys were artists. But then, you know, at the end of the night, everyone's doing blow and like disassociatives and like so much cocaine and it's like, if and I'd have to clean up the kitchen. invented cocaine, I would not be I would, yeah, surprised. I'd, I'd completely believe it because these are the people, I mean, remember they have the ear of the king, you know, they have, it's like, I, I, everyone's got their favorite foods. And if you are the guy, the architect of that, so much power there is. So I think it's like, you know, in the picture. So definitely in terms of tone, I definitely see like a star is born kind of, it's like, I got to do this or nothing else matters versus like, you know, maybe there's also a fear of failure kind of a thing too, because it is art, you know, it is art on a plate. You want to eat with your eyes before you eat. Um, Definitely. I think that this could be a very rock'em sock'em emotional uh, emotional picture with a, with mm-hmm. levity and comedy, um, right? I, I'm just thinking it's like a, a narrative tool up mm. front is like you narrating the story is you up on the witness stand defending yourself in the court. Wow! And what? in between, as we're seeing your rise, it's also cut with people going, and then my dog ate the chocolate, and then it like, and I didn't think to put out the souffle before Muffins dunked his head right in. I absolutely love that note, and I'm going to take that to heart. I think that's a really strong narrative through line that we could, you know, thread through the through the picture. I absolutely love that because as you know, or maybe you don't know, but it, you know, I was on the stand and I did have to testify. You know, my attorney said, no, let's not put him on the stand. It makes him look guilty. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean to put chocolate into the mouths yeah. of all these dogs. And There's of course no such I didn't thing as that. bad press. Well, that was part of it too, right? And um, I want the picture to kind of lay bare, you know, my emotional state at the time and all the facts. And I want the audience to decide, you know, um, of course, the audience will decide that I'm an artist and that, you know, there was, I, no wrongdoing. And if there was wrongdoing, it was understandable. You know, you'd all make the same mistake if you made a cookbook for yourself and your dog. Right. Humans like chocolate. I'm sorry. Well, and especially like things that say like a substitute with matcha. I'm not doing it. I'm putting in actual chocolate. It yeah. does not taste the same. I'm certainly not a substitutions guy. I mean, it, it goes back to the school of acting at Juilliard. One of the professors famously, if um, I read this one thing uh, about the professors there, one, one professor said, look, if you're acting and you in your heart, there's no point in that moment when you're acting, when you say, well, look, I actually haven't gone through this situation that the character I'm portraying is actually supposed to be going through. No. No, it's the actor's job to do, to get there. There are no substitutions. I'm the same way in the kitchen. If you don't have agave, (laughs) you go get some agave. And, you know, look, I'm certainly not like a bastard about it. I'm certainly not like hard and like, look, okay, if you haven't got agave, yeah, honey or some other sweetness thing will do. But I mean, come on. There are some things you should have in your kitchen. Salt, pepper, uh, you know. Uh, certain fruits and veggies, you know, garlic. Right. People are like, oh, if you haven't got this, you, for a lot, a lot of the time, you need the thing. I'm sorry. No substitutions. 
And anytime in a movie where the chef comes out and yells at a customer for just like <laughs> wanting, like wanting ketchup on steak tartare or something like that, oh, Lord people in heaven. always go, "That's so unrealistic." No, I have seen that stuff. Have you seen it? So that you know better than anyone. It's I've um, seen it. I've also like I I started my first job was a dishwasher and I just saw same. insane stuff and you, you know there's that healthy barrier there but I remember one day not just cocaine I don't want to give the idea that it was just one drug I remember coming to work one day and everyone explained to me like listen so your job today is not to wash dishes take the night off your job today is this line cook dropped acid before work. And now he's been trying to chop chicken with a butcher knife hmm. and we're just for 45 minutes. And he just keeps on like, I'm going to describe what I'm doing visually for the audiences. He's like holding it and he's like almost chopping it back and forth. And it's the most intense focus I've ever seen in my life. Oh, he's attempting like, to, he's not even doing it. He's, sort he's of not even doing it. He's getting it ready to do it. I see. And it's been almost an hour and there's like your job and here's a seat. You are going to sit and make sure he does not cut his hand off. And that was my entire job because he, he never cut the chicken once. His entire acid trip was just him not letting go of this giant butcher knife. So that was pretty easy for you then. You didn't have to do much. They they wheeled in a TV for me so I could watch the Stanley Cup playoffs while I was making sure that he didn't cut his well, hand off. Well, I got a nitpick there. What was the job? To watch the playoffs or to watch that guy keep him safe? I mean, listen, it was a it was a restaurant that was also like, hey, somebody dropped acid before and they were really chill about it. So okay. like, yeah, of course I'm slack off. Okay. And I also say the more chaotic the kitchen, usually the better the food. And I know that's not a moral thing I should be teaching anyone. No, but it certainly is not something we should be teaching. I've certainly been in kitchens where, yeah, it's like I can't believe how good the food is here, given that, you know, everyone's, you know, it's a it's a reality TV show back here. Um, it's the it's the Coltrane thing. No junk, no soul. It's the by the same yeah. token, though. I've been in very well run kitchens that were pretty exquisite, pretty good things come out of there. Where it's like, oh yeah, we don't want anyone using. Which you know, I didn't really I don't really use. If it was going to use, it was recreational. I certainly didn't. wasn't like a crutch. Nothing was a crutch for me, really. Yeah. But um, speaking of you know coming in and you know putting ketchup on something. I've certainly been in situations where, you know, I wanted to yell at someone for coming in and, you know, this is a lovely taqueria we're at, you know, and a lady comes in and says, you know what? I haven't got the cilantro gene where I can taste the cilantro with soap instead. I haven't got that. I just don't want it. And I'm just like, well, this is a national food you're messing with. You know, this is like, this is like the conquistadors came down and did something and conquered a people. And then here come yeah. corn tortillas and we're making them. And there's an abuela backstage, backstage in the kitchen. And you're messing with like a centuries old thing just because you sort of, I don't get them. There's no accounting for taste, I suppose. Just don't come here. Well, don't come here. I, I'm allergic to onions. And so I, I don't think I could ever date a chef or something because anyone I tell that to is just so offended because yeah. there's like, there, there's a most flavor taste. Of everything, I, I have been told is onion, onion and, and I garlic. Will never know that. Onion and garlic, yeah, and like oh, I love offshoot garlic. of yeah, offshoots of onion, like leeks and stuff. How do you do with leeks? A leeks, I'm fine. It's a yeah. protein in the juice with onions. I won't like my throat won't close, but I right. will be like 
ill for two days. Okay, that's wild. Yeah. I really do feel sorry for you. So I don't even know. Am I pitching this idea to the right person? Someone who can't eat this onion? This is science fiction to me. This is how I'm viewing okay, it. Okay, just okay, like, okay. So, you know, alternatively, we could do, I could see us doing kind of a 2001 Space Odyssey yeah, where yeah, yeah. instead, <laughs> you know, people look at my book and they see the end of time. They touch my book well, and they see everything and then they become a star child. And you can <laughs> you can still have the like singing in the rain thing. Like I want the shot of you like getting off the bus wearing a straw hat and you're just mm. looking up in the big city and you're like, wow. I'm going like, to conquer this big still... city. Yes, I do like yeah. the idea too of me getting off of a bus, but it's got to be one of those old timey buses where the doors are always open. Like in London, you can still jump on and off when it's moving, you know, the double deckies. Oh, yeah. And or I want one of those. Street cars that you can hop on the back. Exactly. And they got to have that bell. By the way, well, let's talk about this. The Toronto streetcars, they're all gone. They're all the new one now. Everyone, uh, I remember when I moved here, everyone's like, oh, look at that. They're so charming. That's why we have them. They suck. The tracks are bad. They're constantly ripping out the track and putting a new track. The turn things on the track don't work. I've seen the little thing that connects the thing to the power. The streetcar is attached to the uh, guide rail up top. Or the third yeah, the rail. Thing. The third rail with the power is above it on like a cable. I've seen that thing pop off and that renders it inert. The guy's got to come out and like touch live electricity to hook it back. It's crazy. No inertia. Everyone's it's telling insane. me, everyone's telling me, oh, it's historic. That's why we have it. And I'm like, bullshit, because they, they, they replaced it over the last three years. It's all the new ones now. Where I'm like, keep, it's not keep historic. Keep the tiny style streetcars and timey, fix the thing that makes it run. And you know what? Do you know where the old timey ones are now? In San Francisco. San Francisco bought all the ones across the world. So you can go there now and see a TTC one. You can see one ones from New Orleans. You can see them from other towns. Truly, I was in San Francisco, yeah. you know, working on my culinary school, whatever, and uh, we, that's what we call it, whatever. It's just like, yeah, whatever, it's cool, whatever. And I remember seeing a TTC, and this is true, seeing a TTC thing come through and thinking, wow, look at this thing. It was like 50 years old. It was gorgeous. But these new ones, this is what I'm telling, this is what I'm getting to. This is the point I'm making. They still have the bell, but it's a plainly digital bell. It's a digital no. bell that they ring. Because well, like, they used to have those competitions at the uh, – oh, I forget what the field is called where the Giants play. But they used to have a competition for which streetcar driver actually rung the bell with the most, like, nuance. And I'm sorry, There's where? There's a guy who holds the world record. Where? Where In did San they Francisco. Oh. They used to – Well. Yeah. It was a major but, competition. But everyone had the same bell. But now it's like a little button. It's a little action. It's a little servo mechanism. It's automated. <laughs> Bing! And it's like There's a no artist, it's right? a digital sound. So it's like, look, if I'm going to be doing this picture and it's going to be the one we're, we're talking about, I can't be jumping onto a no streetcar with a digital bell. It's got to be that classic streetcar named Desire kind of like tram trolley thing where the guy with a drive, it's all open air and the driver's got that brim hat on that like, he looks like French police. <laughs> and it's got to be like a nickel to John ride. Down. And it's got to be – that's the way it's got to be if we're going to do it that way. Cabs have all got to be – that they've got to – they don't have to be yellow, but they do have to be a color that distinguishes them from the other cars. And they have to have checkers on them. That's it. That's it. Oh, if we do it that way. checkered cab. And I have to be attached to play myself and probably do a, a lot of other things too. Hello, 
This is an editor's note. This is to confirm that yes, there indeed is an annual cable car bell ringing competition in San Francisco. But no, it is not held in Candlestick Park or Pacific Bell Park, now known as Oracle Park, which is the home to the San Francisco Giants, but instead held in Union Square and is organized by the Cable Car Museum of San Francisco. Thank you very much, and please enjoy this San Francisco treat. My name is Matt, and this has been an Editor's Note. Oh, okay. That that was the main thing uh, off the top, as long as we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of, like, yeah. is there a product you would sell your soul for that hmm. we can just keep placing? See how many times we can keep placing in the movie? Well, you know, I'm really partial to... Um... I'm really partial to, I love yoga pants. I love just looking at people in yoga pants when they're just so form-fitting and really nice. So I don't know if we could get Lululemon in there. Their stock's doing good, right? It's the optical illusion of the clothing world. Yeah, I really love yoga pants. Anyone in them? Anyone. anyone What Australia is to people, yoga pants are to butts. That's just like across the board – all attractive butts. I would, you know what? You have. I, I'd put an asterisk there just in case because there are a lot of people who <laughs> don't right, like. You don't Aus- want another don't like Australians on your hands. That's right, and I got to be careful now. But yeah, you know, for whatever reason, I'm really partial to yoga pants with the Lululemon and or even like Alpha Elite. All these women's like um, a- athletic wear just makes them so look so good. Um, I want those all over the picture, and then people will want to watch it more, right? And oh, yeah. uh, what yeah, else yeah, yeah. do I like? What else do I like uh, in terms of brands? I'm um, quite partial to the brand. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I remember Discover card. Remember Discover <laughs> in the restaurant industry? Let's you know, bring it back. Let's bring it back, baby. Such a classy looking card. Diners Club. Let's bring that back. Why? Where did that go? You know, these are the hills That's I'm willing to die thing. on. The, the Diners Club. Let's bring that back. That was the original credit card, baby. People would go and they'd be like, put it on my diner's club. And then they'd pay later for the meal. And that enabled people to kind of, you know, let's get more wine. Let's get more on appetizers. Let's get more dessert. Let's go nuts oh, here. Discover my and diner's club. grandfather worked for the railroad. He needed those cards so he could eat because he never knew where they well, he where they theoretically knew where they were dropping them, but he was d- dropped all over the place. Well, I guess theoretically cash is king, but uh, you know, notwithstanding, Diners Club and Discover, that's, you know, let's bring those <clears> right? back. Right, and it was also associated with your, like, seat, well, here in Canada, the CAA card, the tri- AAA, the... To get your right, car right, toe. right. You needed one of those cards. So what I, right. what I like with uh, Diners Club and Discover is there may, they might not be around so much anymore. Maybe less. I mean, Diners Club is gone, and maybe Discover a little bit. I don't know. But you remember Demolition Man? Discover is gone. gone. I, well, that's why I we got to bring it back because the Ontario license plate says yours to Discover. And for years, I'm thinking <gasps> there's no Discover anywhere. Where is it? Yours to Discover. That doesn't even make sense. Discover was a proper. It's Discover card. Your Discover card. The province of Discover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a missed and opportunity. And even if you name like opinion. a stadium or something after Discover Card, that sounds like it's the Discover Stadium. The it's Discover the Stadium. Discover oh Arena. my god! Like they, I, I've been petitioning the government here to rename Rogers Center and Scotiabank Arena, respectively, 
Discover Field, Discover Card Field, and Discover Card Center. And <laughs> they're not trying they're not trying to hear me. It's like they're yeah. it's like they don't know A who I am. B uh, it's like they don't give a shit about selling seats in these places. As far as I'm concerned, they may as well be empty all the time. People need – Discover needs to get out there. That's mm-hmm. why they're almost gone. Um, what was I going to say about uh, about brands? Oh, I forget now, but it, well, I thought it was going to be pretty funny. On a funny. bit more of a serious top. well, I could do two serious topics. Mm. Uh, one thing is uh, if you watch – uh, food in cinema. Mm. If we're watching like Babette's Feast, Tampopo, mm. uh, something like that. All great films about food, by the way. Pretty oh, accurate. And I would even add An Autumn Afternoon, this great Japanese film, uh, ostensibly about business and family and tradition, but all around the dinner table, just kind of like mm-hmm. Tampopo. Uh, soul Food is great. Soul for Food, Good Burger, Home Her. of the Good Burger. Yeah. Uh, but usually it's a metaphor for like, because we can't taste the food. It's a metaphor for like enlightenment or emotional enlightenment, like something within you changes or an epiphany happens through the food. Yeah. Like, well, movies- naturally. So my, my thing is like, who do you want to change with your food? Who is your food for? My food is for people who are, well, first and foremost, hungry. Um, and not like super hungry to the point where like, you know, you need like three or four helpings of my food. It's like, that's crazy. Or you just would have gone to a vending machine. Yeah, at that point, you know, just go to a buffet or something else or go to the grocery store, make up a big batch of something for yourself, whatever. Hopefully you're just hungry enough to like, you know, sit down and wait kind of a long time and eat like a little bit of an appetizer or something small. And just in that hunger range where you're hungry, but you're excited for some fun. And that's my who my food's for. A very specific niche of people who have money <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, want to go out and dress nice or some kind of nice business casual at a, at a venue and sit down and eat something fun and cool and nice. And I'm elevating like street food. So, you know, we got tacos. We got like, um, you know, uh, things, a lot of things on buns. So like lobster roll and we've got like gourmet hamburger. We've also got you know, ceviche, we've got good seafood, we've got, you know, if you like clams and mussels, we got a whole tower for you. It's, it's, it, it, you can, it's bordering on messy, but also very upscale. Um, this it, is your dream. Cause I was going to say, do you have a signature dish? I do, do have, have a signature a dish. I do have a signature dish. I uh, trained for a moment. Well, I trained, that's a bit of a stretch. I took vacation in, in the Amalfi coast in Italy and there you can, uh, you know, you can dive into the water and swim out, swim back up onto the rock. And there'd be a restaurant there, a little portico, and you, someone's going to serve you um, spaghetti vongole. And that's with, that's with clams and things. So basically any seafood pasta is kind of my signature thing. So what I do is I do, I like to do like a seafood uh, capellini, sort of a scampi with capellini. And what I like to do is I like to put a couple of fresh anchovies in the pan with some good olive oil, some garlic, a uh, little, uh, little chili, a little Thai chili. 
You get a nice Amalfi Coast lemon. You grate that into there. You get your shrimp or your prawn or whatever you want to use. You marinate that for a second in like some lemon zest. You toss that with capellini. Capellini is beautiful because it cooks in like three minutes. You get some of that pasta water in there that's well salted. Yeah, and you do capers. Incredible. A little cherry tomato. And and you finish that off with some grana padano cheese. Get some rapini in there if you want some green, greenness, a handful of parsley, some basil. Oh, my God. It's um, very simple, very delicious. And and here's another thing I got to ask is like, what is your relationship with food now? And what was your relationship with food then? Because like you talk a lot about like you've lost a lot of weight. And like, I don't know how to tell you this right now, but you're kind of jacked and you hide it well. I hide my jackedness well. Yeah, yeah. You wear you wear baggy things, but it's not like you don't think that that's the natural body shape. And then also as a comedian, you don't want to Joe Piscopo yourself or or Dane Cook, where that's suddenly true. you get too jacked. And then I've also just yeah, it's true for the listener. I have taken to comedy lately just because I think I'm uh you know as much as I love cooking and stuff, it's like not comedy is kind of becoming another thing, especially now that I'm banned from cooking, whatever, whatever by the court, <laughs> court ordered, whatever. But yeah, you know, I used to, my relationship with food was, you know, I used to eat my feelings away and I used to, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, that guy at the end of Ratatouille, Anton Ego, that, that guy that comes to review the restaurant, he says, I'm slim because whenever I put food in my mouth that I don't like, I spit it out. That was certainly not me. Um, mm-hmm. if, if, if I put a food in my mouth that I didn't like, whatever, it's already in there. I'll eat it and I'll commit it to energy. But I do know what I liked and it, and it was like a lot of rich food and it was a lot of – and this is absolutely true. No word of a lie. I know we're doing a lot of comedy today. But I remember in college eating a full – you know, at my low point in 2007, I remember eating a full uh, rotisserie or barbecue chicken from like a grocery store in a night. Like I had like – I just – you know, I had a quarter of it with dinner – and then just throughout that very night, and I think by like 11 o'clock midnight, I was staring over this like container and just a carcass. And it's like, okay, so I ate that all today. And I remember thinking, okay, something's got to change here. I got to I gotta re- reel this in. At least it's a lean meat. Yeah, but you know, I wasn't doing much. You got It's a lean yeah. meat, sure. And they, but you know, uh, the amount of meat someone should eat, especially, and this is hard for North Americans to hear, shouldn't be more than the size of the palm of your hand. So that's the amount of meat you should be eating. In terms of getting uh, supplemental sources of protein, you could supplement that with eggs and peanuts and other things that are rich in protein. Um, And that's what we should be doing. B12. B12. And I mean, in fact, all the B. You get that in a lot of fruits. All the B vitamins and folic acids and such. Yeah. Oh my God. Chickpeas. You know, the list goes on. My relationship to food was uh, complicated. In the well, beginning. I mean, we've all eaten our feelings, especially COVID. I think we've all yeah. Well, with COVID, yeah. I, my my experience is opposite. It was certainly yeah. I've been more. I made a deal with myself over the years. I would only eat when I was hungry, and it would be quality stuff. It'd be whole foods. So as much as I did lament eating that full chicken, at least it's a full. At least it's a chicken, like you said. It is a lean meat. That's a whole food technically. That is what it is. It's chicken. It's not processed. And for the most part, any grocery store that cooks like a full chicken for you, that's as good as anyone's going to make it, you know? Um, It's not like you're getting a cold cut package from somewhere or something processed with a lot of salt, whatever, whatever. 
Um, I try to, you know, I'm eating a lot of eggs. I'm making my own food at home. I'm cooking a lot of pasta dishes. And as much as pasta is just bread, it is literally just, you know, really good flour, a little bit of egg in there. And that's it. It's not like you don't need carbs. You do because it's energy. It's really great. Calorie dense, just energy dense. Carbs are lovely, especially in the morning when you got a lot to do. You know, I had this morning, I have two pieces of sourdough with three eggs and a coffee and I'm ready to go. In fact, after this, I'm going straight to the gym. It's back day, baby. Ooh. And um, so my, I'd say my relationship to food is um, has evolved. I eat it for fuel, but I look forward to it more now, if that makes sense. It's like I can't wait to eat in the morning and I can't yeah. wait to have dinner. And it becomes a much more selective process. And sometimes, you know, I'll go to a place to try it out. And if it's bad, I'll be grateful for having that knowledge. Oh, let me try this place out in the corner in this town I've never been to. Oh, wow, that ended up not being great. Did I get its energy? If I ended up eating the whole thing, yes, I did. If I didn't eat the whole thing, then I'll go someplace else, supplement it, maybe with you know, something else. Um, Do you feel like you get a lot of judgment in the other direction because you're eating healthier and exercising more and people just go like, oh. If I get judgment, I haven't noticed it. I've certainly put it out of my mind. I don't really care. I just know where I've been. You know, I was upwards of 14 stone, which now I don't know yeah. if I'm doing stone correctly. Let me just. Because I, I never knew you during this period. I have only ever seen the. Chris Hemsworth of Chris Sandiford's. You know what? I don't know how much a stone weighs now. Stone? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was heavy. I was like 220 pounds at one point. And at 5'8", that's too heavy. Um, and I did, I was, I had sleep apnea, you know, little concerns. And I was Ooh. younger. So there was concerns that I would develop, you know, diabetes, whatever. I never did as far as I know. Um, and then that just kind of, I don't really care now. I've seen the benefits. And... Any judgment that's visited upon me, I know is probably jealousy or just a recognition in others that they need to do the same. And, um, but to be, but that's just me uh, guessing, extrapolating at that point, because I don't really, for the most part, people are very kind. Well, I know if I got better, it was because I have bipolar disorder and like, what really helps honestly is exercise. You change your diet, you cut your caffeine uh, intake by at least half. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, but I, yeah, I, I started caffeine. to like get in good shape and eat better. And people were commenting and it gets kind of weird because like for me, the best shape I'm in is usually when I'm manic because I'm eating less. I'm mm. exercising constantly. And so it's just like, wow, you look great. I'm like, thank you. I'm very ill. Yeah, it's definitely easy to hide that sort of thing inside the guise of, oh, I'm healthy now or whatever. Oh, yeah, you look well, but you're, yeah, you're definitely doing it out of some kind of nervousness or OCD or some other thing. And I find myself waving in and out of that as well. But for the most part, I'm just like, you know what? I still, I know that I love to eat. That's one of my big things. I love to eat and I I love to drink, not to excess necessarily, but I do love to enjoy a beer. I like to feel a little loose. I like to go to a party and dance and sweat up the dance floor. You know, you need energy for that. 
Um, but that said, more than anything in the world, I love to eat and I love dessert and I love rich food and I love breakfast food. I sort of like it all. Um, so for me, it's become like, let's find a way to shunt that energy. So yeah, I'm definitely exercising more and I've built in my life now is so such that I have exercise built into my day. My bicycle is my car in such a way that people don't expect, like you want me to go anywhere. I'm taking my bike there and I'm changing at the destination. So I'm not as sweaty or maybe I won't change. Maybe I didn't get that sweaty. Who knows? I'm going to the gym and regardless, I'm going to the gym. It's like, I'm doing it because I love to eat. I truly am passionate yeah. about food and I know so we're you doing can eat whatever you want. So I could, you know, within reason, I'm certainly not yeah. going to McDonald's every day because McDonald's as fun as that is every so often. I had a Sunday there two days ago. Their Sundays rock like they still rock for me. I get yeah. two, I get two packages of peanuts. That's what I do because it's like that texture. I love that. The caramel, mm -hmm. the chocolate, whatever you get there, dessert rocks there. As much as that's, fast food rocks, it's like I'm love. I just love food. I love yeah. it. That's 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 the other thing too is getting diagnosis bipolar. Just like you probably shouldn't drink anymore. Yeah. And something that happens is your body will just crave sugar so much because you right. don't realize how much how sugar much you're sugar taking. Is, in that yeah, sugar is while a I'm trying to give up caffeine, and it's just like I I think for the first while of that, I was probably just a monster. Like it was the equivalent yeah. of if I tried to quit smoking cold turkey. I was just You know, I think I had a version of that, but I got really lucky. During COVID, I didn't drink as much because we weren't doing as much stand up. There was no evenings to kill with stand up. Yeah. You know what I mean? You do a set, or even if you don't do a set, you're at comedy bar, you're at wherever, having three, four pints. And for me, it was usually like two big glasses of red wine. That's a lot of sugar. So I noticed what I was doing. Oh yeah, is, you and I were the wine boys. We that were the was, wine boys. Yeah. Um, and some people came in, some people dipped in that summer. Some people dipped into wine that summer thinking, eh, let's do we this. We were wine. the Frasers of you were Comedy the Frasier. Bar. Uh, you, uh, you were the Niles, I was the Frasier. I will um, take that. He has great like cartoonish <laughs> comedic time. Yes, he really does. Um, but what I noticed without that last summer, I was eating a lot more like jams and jellies like i really started craving like um so during the day after breakfast like so i i became crazy like during covid i started running and by the end of like the by the end of summer fall 2020 i was running 12 kilometers straight shot no problem no problem this, this in one hour moment like and what were you running from Chris? i was running from my former self that weighed 20 <laughs> stone i can't remember what the math is but um, cause I'm afraid that I'll get back to that guy. Um, not to say that he wasn't lovable and loved, didn't love himself. He certainly did, but he was tired of like shopping for clothes that didn't fit properly. That becomes a tiresome shopping for clothes was a nightmare for me back in the day. And that's kind of what I'm running from. Honestly, honestly, uh, shopping for clothes is the worst. And well, now, even as a five seven it. person, and I don't know what it's like for you as, as five, five eight, eight <laughs> but it's an awkward sizing in and of itself. I was going to say I'm we're not we're below average. As I get older, the average height for a man in North America is to ever taller. So yeah. small or a medium or whatever, it keeps changing no matter what. Now I realize Uniqlo small, Uniqlo oh. small is my size for shirt. And you really, it's really a crapshoot with pants and shoes and whatever, but mm -hmm. it's getting easier 
now that I've kind of, I know my dimensions a little bit more. Is it crazy? I try, again, I'm trying to enjoy myself. I still eat. I love it. But what was I going to get at? Yeah, I was running a lot and I found that I would eat breakfast. I would go for a run, but then I didn't want to eat necessarily right after the run. This is in the afternoon. So I was crazy in the afternoon in the hot sun when they said you shouldn't run. This is when Olympians train for Olympics that take place in hot countries. They say, okay, you run in the afternoon when the sun is hottest in Canada or whatever. This is when they say, don't run. I was running during that. I'd come home and I'd crave like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So I I went through like (laughs) way more jam and jelly and spreadable sweet things, Nutella, you name it, sugary. It, uh, it was that, wild. that makes so much sense, though, because it's protein and sugar. It's protein and sugar. It's what your body needs and what it wants. And I wasn't drinking at all. Like, I remember, like, stocking up my fridge with a bunch of, like, tins of either beer or even those neutral vodka soda things just so that if I went to the beach, I could have something to drink. And it would take forever just to drink them all. It was almost a burden, <laughs> how little I was drinking during this thing. And is that a brag? I don't know. Some people drank way, way more, but it was just, I drink socially. So I was realizing it was like, God, I got to get rid of all this booze in my, I guess I got to drink them. Yeah. I mean, totally. I also found out that part of, I, I don't really drink beer anymore because a doctor told me like, Oh, what you think is getting drunk is actually an allergic reaction. The reason you're slurring your words, your tongue is swelling. The reason you're getting a headache is because you're allergic to what you're drinking. Like you're getting a hangover too fast. You're getting a hangover in the middle of drinking. Like halfway through a pint, you're like, here's the hangover. I didn't know. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that. that. People are learning that about themselves. Beer is a bit, it's it's invasive. And it's a lot of, um, it's just a lot too. It's a lot of actively, like, to me, it's, like, worse than, I mean, to me, it's on par with soda in terms of just, it's so invasive. Like, a little bit will go a long way. A little bit of beer is kind of all you need. So much of it, it's like you get, forget the bloating. It's just so dense with whatever it is. Um, Soda, you know, if if I'm going to drink a Coca-Cola, it better be two or three fingers in a glass Cause that'll, that's, <laughs> I'm done after that. It's just so rich, <laughs> truly an ice cube. I just cube. pictured you in like a madman suit in like one of those bars, like give me three fingers of Coke. Coke. I, honestly, I, I drink, that's how I drink soda. I don't keep it in the house, but if I have yeah. soda, it's like, give me like a highball or like a tumbler with a bit of it in there. Cause that's all you need. Just a quench, just a quick, ah, to taste that refreshingness. Okay, so now we've got kind of emotionally where we're coming at with the film, what it means to you. Mm. I'm just wondering, as far as your time on the 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 cooking show, on the this competitive cooking show. Very good. Yes, you remember uh, the story I told. There's what 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 was your persona on the cooking show? Were you the person that everybody hated, but was constantly like, oh, but they're doing such a good job, but I hate them? Were you the one that wasn't doing as well, but like they loved you as a person? Were you the one that was like, really wanted to be there, but couldn't find their footing? 
Uh, yeah, I've been I'd watching say, a lot of Drag Race. I've been catching up on Drag Race. So I'd, I'd say I was that the one who was like, I really wanted to be there, but couldn't find my footing. I had a lot of wacky recipe ideas that you know judges would say, "This looks crazy," but it actually tastes pretty good. Like I don't know where, where you're going for, what you're going for with this, but then hey, it's actually visually stunning, but weird. I certainly was a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a Jackson You were Pollock. chopped before chopped. I was chopped before chopped. I was Jackson Pollock after Jackson Pollock. And it was just very like, you know, let's make this plate look kind of funky and cool. Let's hope the flavors are there. But, you know, for the most part, people were just like, what is this I'm about to eat? And uh, it, no one, I, it, I never really, like, like you said, never really found my footing. But, okay, I also want to ask, because you came up with the food for your dogs, was there a spin to this cooking show? Was there, like, a niche thing, like Chopped, or... No, no, I just, I lost in a in a sudden death sort of cook. We had to use pomegranate with, like, mustard or whatever, and I, I didn't really do well. And I thought, I gotta, you know, I gotta use the heat of this show you know, get my recipes out there. And I thought, you know, I said it earlier. I needed, it it needed a hook. It needed a gimmick. You know, Mary Berg's out there, you know, she's eight feet tall. That's her gimmick. You know, Bobby Flay's out there. He's got his line of cookware, you know, he's so cool. And he just beat Bobby Flay on his TV show. So I got to, I had to do something that no one else was doing. I had to do something, man. Well, I I mean, on the show, were you like, trying to come up with a catchphrase or, you know, uh, were you doing spectacle stuff to yeah, stand out I more of a myself, TV way than a cook way? I found myself every episode, you know, if they ever showed me and I, you know, <laughs> if they ever showed me, I found I was saying, oh, what, what it do, you know, and it didn't really work out. People thought it was too close to the what's up because it kind of was, but I was trying to piggyback. I was like, what it do? Yeah. <laughs> You were know. the producers like cutting it out, but you didn't know that yet. So anytime well, somebody saw you, you thought you were dropping a catchphrase you that know, nobody knew. Here's the thing. They used it too much, if anything. And I became the what it do guy for a while. And I thought, okay, let me leverage this and turn it into the cookbook thing. What it do, you and your pooch. I, I don't know. I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm new to the whole, you know, social media thing. Hey, what it do, baby. And, you know, I'd change it. There'd be variations. I'd be like, what? Hey, what? <laughs> I just ask a question. Hey, what? No, tell me what. You know, just like it's just these fun variations. You know, I thought yeah. it'd be fun, and uh, I, I again, I don't know what I'm doing, and I was making it up for the most part. And were you uh, dressing provocatively in the yeah, like? You know, you know I'd, know, wear the and, I'd wear a cowboy yeah. hat one episode. I'd wear a hat backwards another episode. I wore a top hat for like two episodes because that was like cool. I think. Yeah. Everyone thought I was kind of peacocking. Um, you were a you man know. in search of a niche. Yeah, exactly. I wore earmuffs one episode just because, you know. Did did the producers, did they appreciate you? Do you feel like you were manipulated? Like, were you having a yes. breakdown that they were exacerbating? I think absolutely. The editing of that show did me no favors. They did use a lot of my catchphrases in parts of the show where it didn't make any sense. Like, there was an episode where another – chef kind of broke down crying when tears of joy when one of the one of the judges said her dish was like oh my god it reminds me of italian cooking from back home my nona whatever and she was just like oh my god thank you but then it cut to me going ah 
what the hell? You know, it's like, yeah. no, I didn't say it then. I said that for another thing. And they did me no favors. They made me look like some kind of asshole, some kind of, kind of idiot. And I think they wanted me off that show, frankly. But, you know, that's another thing. That's another discussion over here or there. I'm not coming after them. Um, but that's what they do. They manipulate. It's television, you know. They're not here to make the news. They're here to make television and do you, uh, drama. Do you think that people were following you on social media ironically or – You know – you said it earlier. No, no were press you, like, is bad disrupting press. Disrupting the system. Were you the maverick? I thought I was. I I still think I'm a bit of a maverick, to be honest. And if people are going to follow me for the wrong reasons, that's they're barking up the wrong tree because I still get those numbers, baby, and I'm still getting yeah. those eyeballs, and they're still sharing my stuff, whether or not they think it's cool or lame. Uh, you know what I mean? I think that it, no press is bad press. Give me all the followers, even the fake. Give me all the bots. Give me all of the eyeballs, baby. Let that now, algorithm just, pump me up. What, what's going on? Did you just apply to be on the show? Was yeah. there like a sign up at a mall or were you discovered? It was kind of both. You know, I found an agent. So at the time I was kind of bumming around. I was doing a bit of stand up here and there. And then someone said, I think you could do commercials. And I was like, ah, fuck commercials. I want to cook. And they're like, oh, you can do that too. Okay. Well, why don't you do a couple commercials and then see if you're good on TV. And then maybe we can get you on this show. They heard about this show. I applied, you know, I cooked a lobster with a thing. I poached a lobster in some thing, some butter or whatever, whatever. Right. Capellini. You put some capellini under there. You get some. It's amazing what you can do with just a few ingredients. Well, and, and that's the thing. I was a bit of a shows are looking for regular people who just happen to be able to cook. Okay. Well, there you go. You know what I mean? So it's I was good bit, to be I under was, Kind of more yeah. than that. I certainly was not regular. Okay. Uh, I was a little bit out there. A little out there. You were the Dennis Rodman of cooking? Ah, there we go. That's right. Because, yes, there was one episode of the show where they did – again, the editors did me no favors, but this actually did happen. But they didn't have to show it where I think I, I must have flipped off the judges and I left. I don't think I was voted out that day. Oh, I was voted out that day. I flipped off the judges – and I, they showed me leaving the studio and getting onto a Harley Davidson, no helmet, and I rode to Vegas. Then I spent the next 40 hours in Vegas just, you know, playing. And then I guess I was voted off that day. I don't know. So the reaction shots that they get during those shows, is that all after you've been voted off? Do they for, just sit you down in a room with the footage and just for the most part? Yeah. For the most part, it is like edited so that they, you look like a crazy person. Again, I didn't say what to that girl that was like getting good feedback from the judges. They do do that. Like, I think there's even a scene where, you know, I think I'm like making ice cream and they cut in a shot from earlier where like, I don't know, like I'm talking about how someone screamed, someone said, I scream, you scream. And then that was from like weeks earlier that yeah. they put that in there. And I'm thinking, then they said, oh, he got the idea to make ice cream from that person saying, I scream, you scream. The answer is, yeah, I did get that idea. But come on, you're going to edit it weeks later to make me look like I got stole the idea? Come on. Yeah. And you don't think you invented ice cream, but because of the, like, editing of it, it just you look like you're going, like, has anyone thought of ice cream before? Exactly. So that's what I want to do with this film. I want to show that, you know, editing can be made to make somebody look crazy. 
And, um, you know, whatever. I, I've learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. I did the show. I didn't win. I agree. There should, there, I don't argue with their, with their ruling. You know, I just want to show the people, you know, that, uh, you know, d- different voices coming together to do a thing can, you know, make harmony. You know, they can. In this case, it didn't make harmony. That's, I wanted harmony. That's what I want to show. Yeah. I wanted harmony, but I didn't, it was not achieved, but that's okay. It takes a lot of different people to do the world, you know, to make the world what it is. So in terms of the Scorsese kind of tone idea of like flipping back and forth through the, uh, the, the court drama versus you on the show and the rise to fame, it makes me think of the like, uh, the 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 game show scandals in like the fifties and sixties where they discovered that those things were rigged, and we okay. know to some degree that the TV reality TV is rigged a little bit, a fake. Uh, but I'm like, do you want to put some point in this movie? Like, are you taking a kickback? Are you endorsing a thing that you don't believe in? Like. Did somebody tell you to like maybe put some chocolate in the the dog's well, look, recipe? I mean, look, did Discover Card pay me money to say, "Hey, look, we're really <laughs> not doing good. The brand is suffering here. Can you talk up the brand?" Yeah, they did. Yeah, sure. But I also do believe in Discover. You know, I want them to. I want. I believe in. I happen to. You know, both can be true. You know, I happen to believe in this brand. Did they pay me a lot to talk about the brand here to pitch it as part of my movie and also to make them the backbone of the movie? Yeah, of course. And do I talk about Discover and Diners Club a lot? You know, yeah. But uh, come on, I mean, I'm only human, and I love. But I also happen to love those things. I talk about things that I love. Did they pay me? Yes, of course. Yeah. I also just love the idea of someone constantly name dropping a product in the hopes that they'll send them free stuff. And that doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't exist just- anymore. Certainly they had to approach me first, but uh, of course, once they told me about the product and reminded me about how good the product was, I was just like, yeah, absolutely. I'll talk you guys up. And I've always loved the product anyway, in my heart, I was about to talk about them anyway, but then they came and said, talk about us. Right. It's like, I'm sure there's a guy sitting in a bar right now. that's like, mark my words, pogs, are coming back kids are gonna love pogs again and let me let me be absolutely clear pogs are coming back let me be absolutely clear how do i know yeah yeah whatever they may have sent me a bit of money and a couple of little pogs a couple slammers here and there you know and that's how I, I had the poor back. kid pogs. I had like the discount ones that would have like a staple through the middle of it. And then oh. you'd like cut yourself on the staple. Ah, uh, well, you know what? Those are not the pogs that are coming back. They're coming back in full Yeah, those force. aren't regulation pogs. But like there's that's- new pog, man. There's new pog. We got like, well, they're not totally new. They, they're kind of a decade behind. So there's like Justin Bieber's on them. We got uh, Barack Obama and like Joe Biden when it was them as like the leaders, uh, right. not modern J- day Joe Biden. We've also got like, you know, Ralph Nader Pogs. He's back, <laughs> you know, like political Bob Pogs. From, like, Pogs. I mean, those are 90s. That's when Pogs were in already. But like now there's like, you know, I'm trying to think of what was big, you know. You ever, did you see that movie Atonement? I think Will Will James McAvoy from Atonement is on a pod, yeah. <laughs> and like you know what else is? Is big? it all that like doubt 
the doubt. movie Doubt. Like, I mean, I'm sure Philip there's a Seymour doubt. Hoffman. There's definitely a pod with Precious on it. You know, Monique, that whole thing because of their festival run. You know, I'm just trying to think of that era of you know Tropic Thunder had a pod. All the characters from that. You know, that era of the late 2000s, mid to late 2000s Pog time. So, you know, anything yeah. you could remember from that time, there was Pogs. They're kind of catching up. I'm interested in how you could pitch this, like, cookbook, which, first of all, have you – I'm sorry I didn't ask this earlier. Have you tried dog food? Uh, yeah. As a chef, I have, I've tried everything. You know, there's like brands out there that I think are good and they brands that are bad. I mean, it's, it, even cat food. I think my favorite animal feed has got to be the wellness brand, wellness brand, mm-hmm. cat, wet cat food. So you get them in the tins, either the big tins or the slim tins, and they're quite pricey, but like they're chicken and herring. Um, you know, I was scooping it out for, you know, if I was looking after a neighbor's cat. I'm scooping it out and I'm like, Jesus, this smells incredible. And after about a week, I'm like, I got to oh, yeah, try some me. of this. You know, I took a little forkful. I'm like, this is, this rocks. There's no ash. You know, there's always some ash, but in this, yeah. the wellness, they keep it down to like 1% or like under 1%. So I put a little in a frying pan. I make like a little confit. I put some garlic in there. It rocked. They've got lobster and they've got lobster. They've got chicken and herring. It's crazy. I think it's, that's one of the best ones. And they gave me the idea to cook well, for your pet. And in, in the 90s, I don't know if you remember the old Alpo commercials. Yeah, sure. Those Alpo. used to like. That was the first time you saw chunks of meat. You saw yeah. chunks of carrot. Yeah. Like, I don't think good. people understand that as a nation, we all just watch that and go like, why should my dog eat better than me? Yeah. Oh, and no, then, yeah. Those Whiskas commercials or Fancy Feast even when you'd like Fancy peel Feast. It, Fancy Feast and you put it in the little – those commercials, those were incredible ads. Were they not? Were you Mr. Put, Morris. You put the thing – is that what is that the name of the fluffy cat that also advertises yeah, yeah, toilet yeah. paper? Because it's like a it was a little like martini glass, but an old school martini glass with the whisk with the fancy feast in there, and it would eat out of that. And I remember thinking that looks so good as a kid. I remember thinking that looks so fucking good. I don't know what the taste is, but I know it's good. And right, I, I, and Alpo happened, and then Campbell's chunky soup. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. I you see. Know, so tinning, like, the tinning became better. <laughs> Tins of food became more popular. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just saying like, oh, people seem to be really upset about the quality. The dog food quality is too high. Maybe we can just re like put a different sticker on them and market it to people. <sighs> Chunky just soup. Just make a heartier soup. Right. Just make a heartier soup that looks like dog food. Well, there you this go. This is not me taking a shot at Campbell's. If you looked in my cupboard, I have Chunky Soup. Hey, Campbell's has had its run. Friggin' look at Andy Warhol. Look at all these, uh, you know, they've had a good run. And they're still right. around. Tins of Campbell's everywhere. You know, I just watched a series there about the Lost Expedition Northwest Passage. And apparently... They take the hard stance that they were succumbed to poisoning, lead poisoning, because of a new technology and tinning of the era. They tinned the food, preserves and meat and fruit and veggies and whatever, in such a way that it poisoned the food. So, you know, well, to even know that tuna, tins, you can get mercury poisoning because of the, the water the tuna's but the, in. But not because of the tins, though. So tins have come a long way. You know, you're going to get yeah. mercury from any big fish that you catch. But um, 
tinning has come such a long way that food and tins, it's like, what a triumph, you know, I still, you know, a can of stag chili is probably some of the best tinned food you're going to get outside of like a fancy feast or a, or a wellness cat food, chicken and herring. What were, what were some of the other like foods in the cookbook, by the way? Oh, I mean, look, it, it, it goes on. It's an uni custard served in like a coconut. Um, it was a Meyer lemon clam um, kind of a thing. You know, I made bisques. It was, it ran the gamut, mostly Mediterranean, skewing Mediterranean. So a lot of like chunky salads with tomato and cucumber and uh, green peppers or capsicum as they call it in Australia. Oh yeah. A lot of poke bowls and a lot of, um, but a lot of pasta dishes with like, but they were freshly easy to make really quickly. So a lot of like, you know, you're, were you you're testing it on dogs? Were you seeing, well, like- dogs will, it's funny. Dogs will eat a lot of things that humans will eat. So a lot of, in a lot of the cases, the, it'd be literally every recipe was like mirror. It was like humans on one side and dogs on the other. And you'd cook just with minor substitutions, you know, things that, and people, you know, for the most part were following it. It was just until you got to the one page where I think it was like a three course meal. I think you started with like a ceviche type thing. Uh, main course was, um, what was the main course? The main course was like a pasta with, um, as a tagliatelle with pumpkin and walnut. And then, which dogs absolutely love because they love a bit of cheese on that thing and it slops up nice and the egg in there to keep it rich. And then the souffle at the end, which, you know, for the dogs, it was not a chocolate. It was a cheese based because that's what they love. They love cheese. But the chocolate one, people just made that across the board because souffle is hard to make. So I think people got lazy and just made the chocolate version because every other recipe in the book, you could just feed to your dog the human side and it was fine. So... And you were te- like, do cookbooks have test audiences in the same ways that like movies do, where you're just like, well, you bring a bunch of people in a room and dogs in a room with like a two sided. You know what it's called? What? It's called working in a restaurant mm-hmm. and be like, oh, this is a good seller. And you yeah. add that to the, you add that to your book. You know, I had versions of the book ages ago, but then. Yeah. Again, you didn't have to test it for well, dogs. You would just have dogs your recipes. So much. You just have your recipes. You would just have go-to recipes. And dogs just eat whatever, but don't serve them chocolate. And there was so much chocolate in that human souffle. And when I say human souffle, it's not like it was made from yeah. soylent or human parts or you know whatever. It was just made for humans. Very very bad mistake. I really should have put like a big red line in on that page or a note: and- attention to the reader. Do not feed to your dog. This recipe. Well, in so many, when you're pitching a book, it has to go through an editor. It has to go through your writing agent, and no one, no, no one, one thought it. this would be a problem. No one thought it would be a problem. You know, the picture on the front is me sharing a piece of spaghetti with a dog, a la Lady and the Tramp. That's the picture of the book, and the book is supposed to be like, oh yeah. So if you live alone with your pet, or you and a partner live with two pets, you can just make a big dinner for all of you together. And you all eat. Isn't that fun? And you all eat from a thing that you that you cook together. It's just fun. And everyone got it. It was cute. It was a fun gimmick. Like I said, everyone's got to have a gimmick. You know, Gordon Ramsay's yelling around. He's British or whatever or Scottish or whatever the fuck he is. You know, he's a big he was ex-rugby, big rugby soccer hooligan. Yeah, okay, that's his gimmick. He's screaming at people at his restaurant. It's a nightmare. It's a kitchen nightmare. You know, Anthony Bourdain, you know his gimmick is somebody killed him, but everyone thinks he killed himself. You know, everyone's got their gimmick, you know? So I thought, um, 
I thought I'd cook for your for 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 for, for dogs. Did, was there when you're marketing this? Like, was it a specific type of dog? Did the dog no, have a it's name? Just, you know, it was just whatever. Oh, in on the front, I believe it was whatever the tramp. It was whatever no lady was a cocker spaniel. I believe. Yeah, I, okay. I believe a lady. <laughs> lady so is a cocker spaniel with yeah. a dog on the. That's that's good marketing. It's great marketing. The cover. Of, I'll send you a copy. Um, but you can Google the cover. It's just me at a table, a little table in an alleyway. It's a putrid alleyway, but like it's out of focus. So it's like candlelit dinner, just like in the movie, but it's me as the tramp. And then Lady, adorable Cocker Spaniel dog, staring the spaghetti. Well, for the movie, like I almost want the dog to be your dog the whole time. Like I want you. Well, here's the thing. I want to see us cooking for a specific dog. So So we can just bond. That was a big problem for me. I never actually owned a dog. I've never lived with any dogs. I just thought, what a fun gimmick that would be. Um, You know, I consulted with a lot of dog people on the book, and um, I should have maybe lived with a dog before making the book. So I do take some of that responsibility, maybe, but also don't feed chocolate to your dog. That's on you. But I also feel like there's some great court moments in that. Yes, exactly. As as far as like uh, a procedural drama – we have the few good men like, did you order the code red? It's like, <laughs> did you knowingly put chocolate in the dog souffle? I mean, no, it, it's all in outdoors. black and white. It's all in black and white. There's no, it's a cheese souffle on the dog side. But what I suspect is that people had been throughout the book just making the human version and just feeding right. that to their dog. Because for the most part, that's pretty safe. You know, but other like, ingredients are safe. A prosecutor would put that. They'd try to prove like intent. Yeah, they would try something. to prove intent. And I certainly, there was no intent for me to hurt, harm America's dogs. That said, I've never lived with a dog and I didn't test any of the, like you said, I did not test any of the recipes with actual dogs because right. dogs will just for the most part eat most of the things. other thing I would love to see happen. And there's two ways this could go. There is the like your lawyers pressuring you to just like blame it on the dog. It was all the dog's idea. The dog can go to prison and you'll walk. But you've like bonded with the dog. And in that way, it's like uh, Denzel Washington in flight. Like he just can't lie anymore. It's like, right, no, right. I'm not going to let this dog. Well, flight rules because flight rules because it was the dog that the, you don't even notice in the beginning of that movie when he's doing all that blow. He did the blow the night before and he's having sex with like a sexy uh, flight attendant. There's a yeah. dog in that hotel room with them. And the story, you guys don't know, because but I got, I saw it behind the scenes because I actually know uh, Denzel's manager. They were like, "Oh my god, there was a dog in that scene that was supposed to take the fall." That was like that. It should have taken the fall because it pressured, it pressured Captain Whit- Whitaker and the stewardess, the flight attendant, part of me, to do all that blow and to like have a good time. That dog was a huge son of Sam. It was essentially the son of Sam <laughs> situation. He's like, do all this freaking blow tonight in this hotel. And nobody knew about that. And then they cut it out of the movie because I thought it makes it cleaner, that it's his own thing, crisis of conscience. And he comes out at the end, I can't lie. But he really should have just blamed that dog. I think that original script was so much stronger because that's what happened the, to me. Uh, the flip we could go with is that the dog set you up. And then yeah. like well, the again, last shot of, of the movie is the dog having like shifty eyes and yeah. like squinting. Son of Sam, man. You know, that's like, what I'm talking about. I mean, and not to say that son, I mean, Son of Sam, as much as I think that's a bullshit theory for this guy, it, it, it could be true of some, some of us, 
dogs, you know, dog is our best friend. Dog? Right. Is dogs are our best friend. Is that the expression? Man's best friend. A man's best friend. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah needs yeah. updating. Needs and updating. And diamonds are a girl's best yeah, friend, which yes. they picked way better. That's well, much easier. Well, because diamonds are forever. So, yes. you know, it's not like you're going to have to put down a diamond after 10 or so years of loving you unconditionally. You know, a diamond will last. It's It'll, how, how does Shirley Basie put it? They luster on. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What and and I, I realize we're backtracking here, but what was you gave me so much. There's so many highlights to hit mm-hmm. in this, mm-hmm. but do you wanna hit any notes of like what it was like if we're gonna go full Joseph Campbell, which you kind of touched on a little bit mm-hmm. earlier with the Ouroboros. Okay. It's like your first foray into the dark forest when you've okay. accepted the call, the first threshold. You were talking about a mentor. I believe you said in Montreal kitchens, but like, yeah, I had a several, you know, the ego death of like going into the kitchen. We're talking about the cocaine and all that stuff. What was that like for you? You know, it was a trial by fire. You know, all I had in my arsenal at the time was a couple of weeks at a thing in San Francisco that I may have mentioned earlier during improving a story. And, um, you know, when I, you know, other than that, I was just going around and, you know, you name the restaurants in Montreal, Joe Beef, uh, Loring Yal, um, Le Peche uh, et Le Quelque Shows. And um, it was uh, very fun to just go into all these kitchens and work for a moment under some of the best people and get screamed at and understand what I could do, what I couldn't, what worked, what didn't. Um, the ego death was real, man. I, you know, I really gave myself to the process of learning about what it was like to be a restaurateur, what the owners of a restaurant expect from you, a chef, what the chefs, what the chefs de cuisine expect from you as somebody that works for them and what the customer expects. You know, you go to these places, you do your little secret diner, you sit down, you know, you have a lampshade over your head so people don't recognize you. I realized later that I wasn't famous at that point, so no one would care. I was just a regular, but, you know, it made for some good uh, social media posts. But, you know, it was real. I humbled myself to the process, you know, get, going to farms, getting the ingredients, doing a Did whole, Did you feel like, like there was a part of your soul you had to give up? Or like no, not at all, away. man. If anything, I was if anything, I was embracing it. I wanted I wanted to know what the secrets were, and I wanted them for myself. And I wanted to find new secrets. I wanted to discover new things. And the, the only thing I in my soul that I lost maybe was I don't know the ability to form new friendships <laughs> at any cost. At all costs, I had to be the best, and at all costs, I had to know what the secrets were. And those are, you know, it's like finding treasure, you know, it's like that. It's like blood simple, you know, I found treasure. Who's going to kill me for this treasure? It's like, is that blood simple? Or am I thinking of something? A simple plan. Yeah, there we go. There we go. A simple the plan. Band, simple the band, plan. simple plan. Because all those yeah. members killed themselves, killed each other, <laughs> not themselves. So, so you understand. It's like, I, 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 you know, no, it's hard to keep friends. It, do you ever see the movie, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre? I love that movie. It's Again, great. raised by my grandparents. It's a lovely for the listener black and white movie about the perils of three men that go into this remote region where there is supposed to be gold. And they bring an old prospector, an old prospector is among them, who teaches the men 
how to find gold. But he's Walter too Houston. old himself. He's too old himself to go on his own. But these men, uh, one, of, one of them is Humphrey Bogart and another I don't know. But they go and yeah, um, it's Walter Houston. Like if you saw a movie around that period where like an old man in a Western is like Marshall Clemens is a doings. No, but who is the third guy? It's, it's oh, I can't remember the the third guy. No, you're right. The third but guy that's, either. That's where the like badges. We don't need no stinking badges. Yeah, exactly. The the banditos come and get it. Well, yeah. basically, it's a it's a story about greed, and uh, these men set out to find a treasure. They find it. And it changes them. I say them because I don't want to spoil the the movie, but it does. Mm-hmm. The, the the treasure changes them, and that's the kind of thesis of the film. Like you set out to go find gold, and you find five thousand dollars worth, and you say, "Oh no, you know what? Give me a little bit more." And you, yeah. you're you're corrupted by the the search for it. So it's all great. Uh, all that to say, I would. Uh, concede that maybe I've been corrupted by the search for whatever gold I'm looking for, but it comes at um, a worth it. It comes as being worth it to me because then I can, you know, share, share those treasures with my world, with the world that I inhabit. And uh, which brings us back to the beginning. (sighs) Like, is there a thing when you were serving people on the, the reality show, Again, food is a metaphor for enlightenment or catharsis. Was it like, was there a comment you got about a place that they, that your food took them to or just like a thematic? Yeah. You know, everyone thought it was a bit of a mess and uh, it was less transporting, but just more just like, huh, I didn't expect that to do that, but it did. Right. So there is a catharsis, but it's more like a philosophy problem than it is any kind of like. Yeah, I think maybe that's what I need to work on, you know, reining it in, kind of making a plate conceptually make sense with what it tastes like. Um, Because you said you lost on pomegranate and mustard, which I've been thinking about the whole time. I don't mind that taste combo. Not to like put the failure on you, but I'm like, that's not bad. Well, you know, look, I'm humble and I've been humbled by that. Um, I certainly do put the failure at my feet because that's where it was laid. And I take that up. Um, And obviously the experience was more positive than it was negative. That flavor profile, though, at the time I was not mature enough to marry them properly. And I am okay with that. I'm okay with that now because now, you know, I've been able to find more combinations that kind of answer that question of how do these two things go together? And uh, I'm okay with that. But before, yeah, the philosophy that seemed to come through me was a lot of confusion. What is this guy chasing? You know, this food's not bad, but we don't know what the hell he's trying to do. Right. You didn't know who you were yet. So how can you put that in the food? So how can you put that in the food? And, you know, it's like any artist trying to discover themselves. They do have a period of just kind of a lot of messiness. And, you know, I I love that. I I think that's that's how this kind of has to end. I want you up on the stand. I want your lawyer to be like, just blame it all on the dog. Just you can walk, you can go away. It's a clear people already think it's a bad, you know. Uh, and then I turn to and, the dog and I say, "What do you say, boy? You want to walk? You want to walk?" Yeah. But then you you do it, and you're like, "I would like to plead my case," but you do it through food, and you cook the souffle for the entire right uh, 
as it was intended right. for the entire jury, right. for all the people in the class action suit. Right. And they're like digging into this souffle and they're like, again, now they can have this catharsis because you know who you are. Right. You don't need to be a star anymore. You don't need to, like, you are not more important than your art. And so people are just eating this and they're crying and they're like phoning loved ones they haven't spoken to in years. They're crying and you get acquitted. Maybe you're like right. standing ovation. I mean, I love the idea the that I get acquitted. The a backflip. I love the idea that I get acquitted and I love the idea that I find myself through this because maybe that's the answer that I need through in real life. You know, the film will help me put closure on this whole topsy-turvy loop-de-loop of a war of a, of a whirlwind ride I've been through. Were there, were there perks to medium fame? Like I'd say no, I'd say the best thing, thing that came out of it was every so often I got to eat for free at a restaurant where I knew the guy or a guy knew me from the thing. Um, but for the most part, it was a little annoying. You know, I would go to the market to get my vegetables or whatever, and too many people would stop and chat. And I'm just trying to get my groceries done. The perks were so few and far between. I think I got a hat in the mail, you know, <laughs> maybe some swimwear for some reason. Maybe um, some yoga pants. I, I, I would you love just... to get some yoga pants and a Discover card. I would love yeah. to get a Discover and a Diners Club card in the mail. And I think as the, the, unlimited the like, limit. entire journey uh, jury stands up and gives you a standing ovation, we see that they've all been wearing yoga pants that say like juicy in rhinestones oh, I would or different love things. That. Like, the, the yoga pants with the images. I mean, I love a simple yoga pant. But also I love one that has images on it. And I also love the new ones now from Alpha Elite or like Gymshark where it really eats into the crack of the ass of the wearer. <laughs> I love those. There's something about them. They're real subtle, but I love them so much. It reminds me of it. It's as if they're wearing nothing at all. It's crazy. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, it reminds me of home. It just reminds me well, of also, like anything you like. Yeah. Anything you like should is reminding you of home, I think. Some comfort level on some level. So clearly we've hit Joseph Campbell. We've hit Young. Mm. We've had a catharsis. Yeah. Uh, the, the last bit, if you want to do this, is usually we just kind of talk our way through what the trailer for the movie looks like, and Matt's going to put in like radio play sound effects and stuff like that to kind of okay. like make the trailer. Okay, so here we go. The trailer, let's talk our way through the trailer. It's not going to be a, in a world, because they don't do that anymore. Yeah, Those yeah, don't yeah. exist anymore. But literally... Oh, wait, did you did you have a title for the, the film in mind? Uh, I did. It is called The Craft Dinners. Because in the movie, I will be called Christopher Craft. Just to change my name a little. Oh, okay. My name will be I tell you, Chef Chris Craft. I, I took a couple stabs at it. And oh. the one I, I liked, and it's your movie, Craft Dinners. But Begging for Scraps. Begging for Scraps is good because that's a dog tie-in as well. Begging for Scraps. It could also food. literally be cooked because I'm cooked. My overcooked. goose is cooked. I could be overcooked. This could be overcooked. Just like the movie Overboard, that kind of gives yeah. a fun comedy vibe to it. Um, but again, if my name is Christopher Kraft, like I always pictured, 
it would be called the craft dinners. Um, you know, cause it's fun. It's got some brand net recognition. And also I'm trying to plug them too. you know, I don't use them or their product, but if I plug them, they said they'd give me whatever, whatever, whatever. So I thought, okay, I'll name the movie after you and my character name is going to be crap. Um, yeah. so here's the trailer. Okay. It is a dark and stormy night and we open on a restaurant that is closed and we pan through the restaurant and there's like sounds, what's going on? There's sounds, it's like banging. It's like, are there thugs turning over the place? There are, there's people like robbing the register. It's crazy. But then they notice a sound coming from the kitchen and it's me cooking frantically, like making a new menu to impress this new group of diners because I'm new. And literally the stinger at the beginning of the trailer, the first 10 seconds is, the, the thugs taking off their um, ski masks and being like, right. who the hell are you? And I'm like... Yeah, you've got headphones on. Yeah, you exactly. weren't hearing all this. I'm not hearing it, but like maybe I see them, we see each other, and You're I take my headphones off. probably to classical music because that's Something just like the stereotype. Yeah. But I'm like plating. I've plated this gorgeous meal just now that I've cooked on my own. I'm just there. I'm just working late. And literally we see each other. I take my headphones off. They take their ski masks off. They're like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm new. Cut to, uh, you know, just scenes of like cooking in a busy kitchen, maybe a voiceover being like, my name's Chris, I'm new, but I'm really good. And like chefs tasting this thing, echoes of like all the judge, what the, the shit the judges said to me, this looks weird, stinger, but it really tastes good. And right? we can cut, we can then cut because it'll give them questions. We cut from to judges in the courtroom. Yeah. Judges on the reality oh, show. Oh, there we go. So a judge and a judge. Exactly. So being people like, don't know what happened after people this don't... break-in, this robbery. Yeah. So literally, that's just a way into the trailer. I just love the idea of like these, these crooks being like, okay, we thought this place was closed, but I'm there. But anyway, you cut, you change the music. It makes like, it's fun. It's maybe like, we are family. And like, <laughs> Cause that's a good trailer song. Um, or alternative, you, 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 use, you use something with like a big in it. Yeah, yeah. And that's just something I came up with out of the top, off the top of my head. And, you know, just shots of me cooking food, people thinking it's good, but then a newspaper slamming and being like, we dropped like one star rating or whatever. And I want to like up the profile of the place. So I'm convincing a guy that I got to put out this cookbook. You know, it's for you and your dog. You know, it's like Lady and the Tramp. It's instant brand recognition. Everyone loves it. Then the courtroom judge being like, so why did you kill all those dogs? And then like me trying to work through the hustle and flow of it, me and my girl being like, yeah, this lawsuit's going to kill us. I got to sell everything I know. The reality show judge being like, it's weird, but I like but, it. Yeah, it's still. weird, but I like it. And, and then, then maybe, you don't know what they're eating. And maybe a bunch of people saying that at, at for different contexts. So like even like the judge judge being like, that's weird, but I like it. Some g- driving instructor, that's weird, but I like it. Just weird because that is a thing. It's a through line for my life. And you just keep cutting me cooking, trying to make it work out more like j- legal Mumbo jumbo happening. Different headlines. Different headlines. Chef, celebrity chef, wannabe celebrity chef goes down. It's the trial of the, not the century, but the trial of the minute. And 
you know. And it's got like a picture of you on the newspaper being like, what? Yeah. What yeah. is it? And then me in the witness stand going like, what the hell's going on here? Come on. Let, what let me happened? Off, let me off the hook here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, finally it ends with me. There's like a stinger at the end, maybe not a stinger, but like everything comes to a head and it quiets down and it's me sitting down at a dinner table outside somewhere. And I'm just like, you know what? Sometimes I feel like you're the only one I can talk to cut to it's a cocker spaniel and she's lapping up spaghetti and I'm eating it with her. And then that's a bit of it. And then cut to the title, the craft dinners. And then the stinger is me trying to trying to get the photo that we get on the book. So literally me trying to put a piece of spaghetti in her mouth and make sure it's the same one that it's mine, but it's not really working out. And it's oh, just a so fun good. little moment at the end of the trailer where I'm like, no, no, eat that one. And then and then I'm looking at a photographer being like, did you get that? We did. It was the same string. And he's like, I'm changing my role of film. And I'm like, nigga, this is digital. Use digital. And then opens Friday or whatever. I, I think there should also be stingers in there, like so many twists and turns. I yeah. was dizzy, but in like a fun, bouncy castle way, <laughs> not in like a physically sick way. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. Uh, well, here's that's the thing. I don't want to write my own, uh, you know, the little laurels. I want yeah. to rest on my laurels that haven't even come yet. So I assume I'll get some of those little, you know, Fantasia, Sundance, you know, Sony Pictures Classics kind of branding I'm assuming we'll get those and we'll leave time and space in there for it. But uh, there you go. Yeah. There's the trailer. That was amazing and succinct. And like, <laughs> to your credit, I know some of that wasn't real, but I don't know which bits because <laughs> the, 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 you did have a background working knowledge of everything you might have been lying about. Yeah, well, I do. If you want to take the veil off now, you let well, me know because there's no going back. I do I do have one last thing of just like you're you you're a regular on that CBC show Hudson and Rex where the I'm certainly not you, a regular. I have done two episodes. Right. I wish it, I was a regular. The best two episodes. Thank and I just you. have to say like, thank you. Yes, they are the best. Do you have two. any advice for working with a dog? Um yeah, absolutely. Um just ignore the dog. Honestly, that's the best advice I can give you because with working on that show, um, you, you, you get as many takes as they want where the trainers are screaming at the dog. So basically you play the scene as if the trainers aren't there. And yeah, when I say ignore the dog, what I mean to say is ignore the trainers because the trainers are just off screen and they have like three dogs. And the, the hero dog is the one that, you know, is in close-ups and does all the cool – it does most of the stuff. And it's like brothers or cousins or whatever and sisters or whatever do kind of other stunts and whatever. But literally, like, yeah, my advice is just pretend that the trainers and the dog aren't there for the most part because literally they'll hit action and you got to act normally with the humans while the trainers are literally going, Diesel, ah, 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 no, no, Diesel, here, look, heel, go, Diesel, ah, ah. The whole take, because the, the main dog is called Diesel. He plays Rex, German so, Shepherd dog. What and I'm then, hearing is it's a lot like the Robert De Niro Al Pacino scene in Heat. 
Yeah. So you've got to pretend they're there and you've got to pretend they're there. Screaming. Uh, exactly. That's a great scene in Heat, man. I mean, Heat yeah. rocks. Heat rocks. And then somebody is just standing in for Al Pacino yelling like, wow. <laughs> well, the thing about that is like he's so busy. He's probably shooting another movie on this at the same time, you know, so he's got to go, you know. And I've yeah, certainly yeah. been on movies where or in shows where like the main guy that you're acting with had to do a screen test for something else that day or or a costume test for the same thing. But late, like it's crazy where you got to pretend it's them. <laughs> Or you got to watch someone else pretend it's them. I watched a scene with Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson, but then Halle Berry had to leave after her coverage. And Patrick Wilson, who's a star in his own right, who I love, had to like pretend she wasn't there and he nailed it. It was incredible. So anyone that complains that the star wasn't there for them, it's like, well, those two guys are stars. And sometimes they're not there for each other because contractually they got to get that much stuff in a day or it's like no we needed hallie to go fit her spacesuit, so we needed her to leave patrick the camera's on you so why don't you just act and he did it unembarrassingly too so um well i mean as we're pulling back the veil i just want to go say two things is uh in terms of food two stereotypes dogs actually love cheese so that's why uh, the, so that's why if you replay this, I would say I did say that the souffle was a cheese one that I that the exactly. dogs are supposed to have eaten, which they would love. Which I'm and sh- I'm, I'm going to say mice don't actually love cheese; they love peanut butter. peanut butter. That is true. Yeah, yeah. Because my father was a custodian, so like I had to learn these things. Oh my god! And the other thing, because we talk about pizza Wait, and Italian, did food dogs a lot, play hard in your dad's custodial job? No, mice did. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, oh, the Estonian, so that's why. I, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we owned a dog, so we found out the cheese thing separate. No, they the do love cheese. Thing. Yeah, cheese they yeah. absolutely love. Uh, how far are we pulling back this uh, veil? Because um, well, and I did want to say that, like, what we think of as pizza is not Italian. It is the Greek version of pizza. So that's correct. You, you people have been warned. <laughs> and I was going to say, except um, whatever Domino's is doing now, it's exactly the Italian way or whatever pizza Hut did with the stuffed crust, super calzone, whatever, whatever <laughs> that's, they did that man back in Pompeii before the volcano blew. That's what they were doing. And they had a mobile app where you could track it. So. And that's, and that's, that's why they were stuck. That's why they couldn't run <laughs> fast enough. They were stuffed with cheese. Stuffed. They were so stuffed, just like that crust. Uh, okay, yeah. How, how far back do you want to pull back this veil? No, it's up to you. If you want to end it, and then I'll tell you. Or. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the ultimate cliffhanger. Yeah. All right, Chris, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Do you have anything you want to plug? I feel like you have a lot of things you could plug. Hmm. Yeah, actually. Um, okay, so for real, my name is Chris Sandiford, and actually a lot of that comes from a pilot I wrote a long time ago called The Craft Dinners, and the story was about me. And that the, what I told you was the story of the pilot. Like the yeah. the pilot is about a chef, like a Toronto chef, sous chef who really wanted to become like a television personality chef. And he's going about it the wrong way. And he's focused on the wrong thing. He really should be focused on what he's good at, which is cooking, but he's super focused on having a, like a TV show and a, and a social media following. So he's going about it the, whole, the wrong way. And that was basically what I pitched you was that, um, and in the show, he's not a comedian or anything. He's just a chef. And Robbie Hoffman was going to be like my boss at like a restaurant. And like, I really oh, I wanted, that. there were a lot of like local, 
local kids in there that I really wanted to be part of it. And who knows, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll rewrite it someday and pitch it again. Can so, I, can I say something? We don't have to get into it on like, but I was also working on a pilot that had you as a character. Oh, not a chef though. No, I not you were going to say, Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. It, um, yeah. I, that would have been wild if you'd also said a chef. Um, yeah, this was me and my friend kind of co-wrote the idea and I just went ahead and wrote like a pilot to, you know, just whatever, just for my own exercise. And I never really sent it anywhere or did anything with it, which is kind of what I do a lot because I'm so afraid of sending things anywhere because I have fear of failure and whatever. At any rate, that's where that <laughs> comes from. Um, yeah. and, I love how uh, I said, do you have anything you want to promote? And you're like, I have a crippling fear of failure. <laughs> I have a crippling fear of failure and you'll never read that pilot that I wrote. I do have things to promote. Your promotion yeah. is for therapy. I... I'm one third of Rat's Nest, which is a live show and a podcast. Um, but live, we record it at Comedy Bar every Sunday at 8 p.m. It's me, Mark Little, and Jacob Greco. We are the rats in the nest. And every week we have two comedians, area comedians, um, come and pitch us their um, product or idea for big money cash dollar bills. And um, I play Jeremiah St. Baby. Uh, Mark Little plays Hank ass and um jacob greco jacob greco plays uh, sherman michael shunk of shunk industries and we're all (laughs) big money billionaire playboys and we're just looking for the next big idea come and see that it absolutely rocks um it's every sunday at comedy bar and then also i think this month um this week even i think um on fx what we do in the shadows premieres its third season um in which i make an appearance um, You're in the second season too. Um, I'm in the second season too, but it's already you know I'm not going to plug that because it's already it's already come and it. gone. You can still watch it. Yeah, go back and watch that whole show. It's actually just really good and the movie. Why not? I'm not in the movie. I'm in season two and I'm going to be in season three, which will air imminently. So that's something I'm excited that people see. Uh, new episode of uh, new episodes of uh, What Will You Do in the Shadows? I believe it's just the one that I'm in, but watch that whole see the whole season. It's going to be great. Um, other area comedians are in that as well. So, you know, that's just a fun thing to plug. And then what else? That's all I got for now. Um, that's all I got for now. That, that was enough. Yeah. And you're, you're doing enough, Chris. And speaking of, uh, enough, why do people in France only have one egg for breakfast? Calories? Because one egg in France is an oof. <laughs> take a break. We'll be right back. That's, there we uh, go. That's one of uh, Aaron Sorgan's, like, that's one of his favorite jokes because in every show and movie, he puts it in there. So, yeah. I've heard it so yeah. many times. Chris, thank you for being here. And to the audience, you're welcome. You're welcome for the <laughs> art that you just got for free. And <laughs> thanks for listening and tuning in. And I guess, do you edit this? Because it's going to need a yeah, lot yeah. of editing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, right. there's 15 minutes gone off okay. the top. Great, great, great. Yeah. All right, buddy. I'm going right. to actually go to the gym uh, right now. Punch Up Your Life has been a stupid, fancy production in partnership with Showbiz Monkeys. The show was hosted and created by Andrew Lazat. You can find Andrew on Twitter and Instagram as at Thin Lazat, or 
check us out on Facebook at Punch Up Your Life. Theme music was composed and performed by Leif Ingerbritsen, photography by Tyra Sweet, and artwork was designed by Todd Graham. The show was produced, edited, fact-checked, and all questions and tangents were researched by me, Matt Ardell. Please remember to like and subscribe, and leave a comment. Let us know which stories you'd like to see get made into a film, or pitch us your own story. Who knows? You could end up being the next guest of the show. Thanks for listening, and remember, you are the hero of your own story. Story.